Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast. I'm Stetson. And I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we'll get in on Australian accent because we're hunting for the Sony A7S III. Where is it? Where has it been? And the other video camera competitors that are out in the wild. Wow, that makes so much sense that you're doing an Australian accent because none of the camera companies are from Australia. And even... If they were, why would you need to do an Australian accent? Because, Gabe, uh, like, it, that Australia is where there's many wild animals and people, you know, it just feels right. It fits the mood because we're hunting for something that hasn't been seen before. Um, and may, it's a mythical creature. May not even exist. We don't whoa, know whoa, 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 mate. It. Don't say that it doesn't exist because I know that the A7S 3 is coming right and fast around the corner. I can tell you that. I can. Went a little cockney there, but yeah. We're talking about the A7S 3 mainly because it's been the one thing on my mind for the past probably five years. No, not really. The I, A7S 2 only came out. Yeah, well, the A7S 2 came out in 2015, so a little less, almost four years basically. Ever since it was released, I've been thinking about the S3, and Sony's just been holding out and holding out, and the people waiting online are just there. It's like it's a unicorn out there, you'd think, that we're trying to see, because we're waiting for it, and nothing's coming yet. Have, have you thought about anything else in that time, or is it just... What do you mean? Uh, you, the Sony... well, what do you mean, anything else? It, you know, you can think about other things and go about your life. About, or... what, about what do you mean? The A7S three. that's... Okay, A7S3. well, Gabe's clearly focused. A7S3. Eyes are on the A7S3. prize. Um, I think before we get out there, Gabe, let's hop in our Jeep. Let's turn the radio on and listen to some quick news, quick news, quick news, quick news, quick news, quick news. All right, first off in quick news, let's talk about Snapchat Spectacles 3, right? Well, what? Well, I mean, it's true. We need to keep our eyes sun protected. Yeah, we need, we need some good sunglasses. Yeah, get some good sunnies wanna, on. We want to make sure we have the video cameras on at all times in case we spot this wild creature. Um, yeah. Because that's what the, the Snapchat Spectacles 2 had, right? They had these cameras. You could record well, one camera. video. They had these one one camera. These, these camera. <laughs> these camera. Um, and yeah. you could record things. So, Gabe, what's... I don't know. I, I actually bought the Spectacles 1. I didn't buy the Spectacles 2. And... As you can tell in a little bit, you'll probably know what I'm going to be doing with the Spectacles 3. So Spectacles 1 launched, I think, uh, 2017, kind of in the you know winter, spring. They launched with like a pop-up shop in New York City and different places around the world, and then eventually went on sale online for about $140. Then last fall, you got the Spectacles 2, another pair of sunglasses with a camera in them that can, you know, basically you connect them to your Snapchat app, you record stuff when you're out, and then you can upload them to Snapchat. And those were $200. Now... $200 for a pair of sunglasses, I guess, isn't too bad, especially, you know, they have a camera in them, but they're not the most stylish sunglasses as well, so it's like, uh, and Snapchat apparently heard all that feedback and went, well, you thought $200 was expensive? Try $380, boy. Whoa, I'm, that's, that's a lot of money for sunglasses and for a camera. Um, yeah. I mean, is, are they just doing this generationally? Like, all right, Snapchat Spectacles 1 was in, like, over a hundred dollars. Two was getting closer to two hundred dollars. Three, we just blew past three hundred dollars. Is that well? They that... doubled. They doubled the amount of cameras on there. So maybe they figured, all right, double the price. I don't know. So it's got two cameras. What like what does 
the dual camera i mean finally my grammar fits the cameras now right yeah. boom you were just you were just thinking about third generation well this new spectacles three you know the original spectacles the cool thing about them was it recorded in a circular video format so if you're you know, watching it on Snapchat with your phone, you can look at it vertically, horizontally, at a 45 degree angle, and it's always gonna fill your whole phone screen, which actually I honestly thought was really cool. That's why I bought the first generation. These new ones do continue that, but now with the two cameras, you can actually do some cool 3D stuff because obviously the cameras are positioned right on the outside of your two, you know, frames. And so they're about eye distance apart. So when you record something, say, you know, a picture, it will get that two slightly different vantage points and it can do some cool effects where it's like rocking back and forth, you know, like looking slightly to one side and the other side of a person, you know, or your subject. And then also with video, you can do some cool 3D uh, filters. So like if you're, you know, walking someplace, you can actually have stuff that's kind of tracked into the environment and like located in 3D space rather than just slapped over the image. So it's actually some pretty cool stuff that they've done with these new generation of spectacles. But the fact that it's $380 is, you know, possibly a little bit of a sticking point uh, for most people, especially since Snapchat is mainly just kind of just a fun app for most people and not really a business tool or like something they're really spending a lot of time on. Who, who do you think these Snapchat Spectacles 3 are for? That's my question. Well, they're definitely trying to, I think their strategies go after, you know, the bit more premium crowd. They're calling these ones exclusive you know, in limited quantities. So they haven't said how much, you know, but I think they're trying to, you know, put that little air of people, you know, who are techies and, you know, who have a lot of cash to throw around could be looking at them like, hey, these are the new, like, status symbol to show that I'm with it and I also, like, don't really care about my money. You know, kind of like a supreme thing. What if they just made enough for the tech reviewer community and only sold to them? I mean, that possibly could work, but I feel like that would not be worth all the manufacturing oh costs of setting up that whole manufacturing line and such. It's it's so, funny. Yeah, I, I, I we will see them coming out in the fall. They're available to pre-order now. You can check them out at like www.spectacles.com because I, I don't know. No one had that, you know, website before Snapchat. I kind of find it hard to believe. Uh, so, yeah, check them out. They, they are kind of cool to look at, and they're definitely like kind of some piece of technology that I think is always interesting. And, you know, at $140, I was willing to buy. Now at $380, uh, no, not really. I think it's going to be a pass for me too. We were able to play around with these in my social media class, uh, The I think the first or second generation. And they're a very interesting device. I think it's fascinating what Snapchat is doing. I don't think these are really going to be for the mass market. It's going to be a more niche audience. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the tech is cool, but I, I personally have yet to see a real use case, um, and a real reason to buy the spectacles. What I really would want them to release actually, and I think they should do is couldn't they make it somehow that they could do a 360 camera? Like, so it like, like I think sunglasses that had them four cameras in them. So they took angles all around you. And then when you're watching on Snapchat, you can just pan around and look everywhere. Like that would be really cool, I think. Maybe maybe like a Snapchat hat. Yeah. Or just like a Snapchat bodysuit and just covered in cameras. We see yellow people just running around. Yeah, with these like DSLRs taped to them. That's gonna that's gonna work. 
So yeah, uh, check it out. Uh, kind of a cool thing to look at, and we'll see how well they sell. The first two didn't sell well, so I'm doubting these will sell. But moving on, in quick news, quick news, quick news, quick news. Uh, I guess pivot, pivot here. Um, you're using the Snapchat spe spectacles. Uh, you're using it with a phone. So segue into phones. Huawei. Uh, they had, of course, that fallout with the whole U.S. government not being able to use Android. They have announced their first operating system. It's called Harmony OS, um, and it's going to be coming out reasonably soon on the Honor smart screen, so possibly more for smart devices before making its way onto mobile handsets, uh, but it does look like Huawei is kind of innovating and pushing forward with developing their own operating system, their own app store, and their own ecosystem uh, that could compete with Android and uh, potentially provide their own kind of experience. That is exciting to hear. It makes sense that they're going first to the smart uh, devices rather than, you know, right to phones, because I think people are going to be a bit hesitant if they're buying a phone, you know, that has this first generation, uh, you know, proprietary operating system. So smart move by them, probably going to keep releasing with Android for the time being, because I think Google and them are working out the whole thing. I think they had a 90 day extension or something like that. Uh, but we'll see how it works and what it looks like really. And yeah, I honestly have high hopes for this because I, as I've said, I think when we talked about this three or four podcasts ago, I thought that the smartphone iOS, like OS market is kind of, you know, pretty much Android and iOS. I mean, I, I slipped into saying iOS when I said OS because there's really only two operating systems out there. I mean, is Windows Phone OS even around anymore? No, it's not. No, okay, it just, it shouldn't count. Yeah. And you kind of have slight differences with Android because each manufacturer has their own different skin. But essentially, you have two operating systems. And it's just kind of sad because we have seen a little bit of stagnation and a little bit of like, oh, iOS does this and then Android does it or Android does it and then iOS does it and a little bit, you know, back and forth and not really any uh, operating systems for phones that are standing out and being like, this is something new we're doing or this is a new direction we're taking. Yeah, I, I like this approach too. Um, uh, Huawei is saying that it'll be really fast, faster than Android uh, with their architecture. It's going to be open source, so developers will be able to get their hands uh, on the repo when that's posted and kind of take a look at it and begin developing for it. I'm really interested to see how this pans out, what it means for the future of phones. I know Huawei has a large presence in China and in other markets. It may be less prominent and prevalent in the U.S., uh, but it's still cool that we're having sort of another take on what a mobile operating system could be. I agree that this will be cool and I most likely will not get it though. Will you be getting a I, Gabe? You know, I'm I'm an iPhone, iPhone person. Yeah. I'm gonna be rocking that, or I'm an Android person. I'm gonna be rocking that. Not not question. A Harmony Do you think OS. that this could actually benefit as well because it's a new operating system being built kind of from the ground up, um, in theory, in 2019 versus you know I don't know when Android originally was being built, but or iOS back in like 2009 that these I know they they keep releasing new versions but each new version kind of builds upon the last I absolutely think this could help out I think this also parallels what we've seen rumored with Android Tizen I believe it's called which is again kind of rebuilding the operating system from the ground up and this allows for faster more efficient code 
that could be used on multiple different platforms and devices. So basically, when you walk through an airport or you're going through public transportation and you're interacting with those large touchscreens, uh, getting information, interacting with other things in your surrounding environment, those will be able to run basically one consistent operating system. And I believe Google is calling this Tizen um, and kind of this approach can allow this operating system to run on low power devices um, along with mobile devices and offer uh, superior performance. So, you know, I think I think it's cool that we're seeing uh, Huawei do this and I'd be really interested to see kind of Google and how they progress with Android and if it makes sense to rebuild a version of an operating system from the ground up uh, using new code, new technology to provide uh, an even smoother experience. That is definitely intriguing. I've only written a little code, but I know you, if like my, in my learning experience, if I started writing, you know, code when I was, you know, two weeks into learning it and then, you know, maybe a month, two, three months into learning it, my code would be very different. And if I'd been working all only on the same base, like same project and just kept writing onto that one thing, it could definitely, if I rewrote it all with the new knowledge I had, uh, it would be a lot faster. And that's kind of what is it's a bit bit of an analogy of kind of what's happening you know in the tech sector albeit very different because it's like 10 year different absolutely uh gabe i think we should segue into talking about what we're going to bring with us on this safari so you know we got some of the other stuff out of the way we got our spectacles on um and i think we've got uh, i'm seeing one device here that could be yeah, this is helpful. exciting. Okay, sorry, Stetson. I don't, I don't like your segues. This is exciting news for me. It's tiding me over until the A7S III is released. Is we got some news that is the next best news for me. We got a new DJI drone leaked and rumored, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you take these rumors, albeit with a grain of salt, because like most things, you never really know what's true until it's out. But it, they seem to be mounting up more and more. We got a couple videos out of it. You got pictures, so either someone's doing a very good job of faking the whole internet, or there's a new DJI drone on the horizon. It's going to be called the DJI Mavic Mini, and probably sit somewhere between like the Mavic Air and Spark size-wise, but have a 4K video camera on it. This is great. I love DJI drones, and I think they're continuing to have a super strong Mavic lineup. Uh, Gabe, what? What? Like- this is the big thing. I'm just not even going to let you get to it because the huge thing here is its weight sets in. It's a heavy lifter. No, 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 no. It's the opposite. It's how light it is. It only is supposed to, and rumors have it, and I actually think it would be really awesome if this was true, so that's why I'm just going to go with it. Rumors have it, it's going to weigh less than 250 grams. Now, Stetson, now's when you ask, why is that a big deal? Well, I was thinking about equating that to a protein bar I would eat. But, okay, well, that doesn't really matter. Why is this uh, a big deal, Gabe? Yes, thank you, thank you, Stetson. So the reason why this is a big deal, Stetson, thank you for your good question, is because the FAA and many uh, places around the world have picked 250 grams as kind of an arbitrary magic number for, like, if a drone weighs more than that, they think that if it falls out of the air, it's going to hurt someone. Or if it gets hit by a jet, it's going to hurt the jet. So 250 grams, if it's over that, up to 55 pounds, that's where you're going to need to get an actual license to fly in the United States uh, commercially. And that's where, you know, the hobby rules apply to as well. However, if it's under 250 grams, 
there's no rules whatsoever. You can fly anywhere, anytime, do anything you want with it. I mean, granted, other than like breaking actual laws, like trying to hurt someone with it or like, I don't know what else, privacy laws maybe. But yeah, you can fly without regard to the FAA drone laws. So this is really huge as we've seen a lot of places tightening up consumer drone laws for the average hobbyist and recreational flyer. That is tremendous. I mean, this is opening up almost an entirely new territory where we suddenly have potentially an aircraft not regulated by the FAA. How do you think the FAA is going to respond to something like this? Are they going to impose regulations? Are they going to see how it pans out? Well, I I don't know. They definitely could impose regulations, but the idea of being under 250 grams is that it actually won't cause any harm if it falls on someone because it is so light. So if DJI can indeed succeed on releasing this drone with a weight under 250 grams, then yeah, that would be a huge win for them because they'd be the first in the industry to do this and they'd they already have a stranglehold on the consumer drone market, but this would just cement it even more. Uh, and the one of the key reasons why people think that this is going to be the case is a couple like times in this past year in May, uh, they were having their like some press conference where in DC where they're talking about you know flight safety for drones and stuff, and they're saying that all new drone models released after January first, twenty twenty, that weigh more than two hundred and fifty grams, will include AirSense technology which is basically they're putting in a module in their drones that can communicate with like flight towers and aircrafts and such. And then they also went on to say um, in their 10-point plan that DJI will install one of those receivers in all new drones above 250 grams. So they are very careful in saying all new drones above 250 grams, even though they didn't at the time have any drones that were under 250 grams. That is very clever, very careful wording and leads me to be uh, more optimistic that this drone is in fact real and it's happening. And I think that would it would be incredible if that was something they could get out in the world. This could you know potentially be game changing. I know some rules and regulations are pretty restrictive around events. Um, I, you know I don't know how people are going to respond to this, but I guess technically, if it's under that regulation weight limit of 250 grams. You could fly at maybe a sporting event. Um, you could fly over people. You could fly in other situations. Um, and that's like, that can open up a whole new world in terms of what you're able to do with your drone um, and, you know, possibly get some new imagery. It's, it's just so, it's a really interesting uh, position that DJI has put themselves in and it'll be fascinating to see how it pans out and what drone actually does hit the market from them indeed people uh stay tuned you know subscribe to our podcast if you aren't uh and you know we'll have we'll definitely be covering this in a future episode when it is released because you know even if it isn't under 250 grams definitely going to be a cool drone uh it's supposed to be only 400 dollars, 4k camera 3x's gimbal so basically like a spark drone but with the 4k camera and folds up even smaller yeah i'm excited to see it obviously because i love new drones i'm addicted to the drones i can't have enough of them give them to me and yeah that is the case what what else did we see from dji uh uh we did actually see one more thing a lot of people thought they were going to be releasing uh this drone because it kind of leaked right around this time 
on August 13th, they had an event planned. Unfortunately for those people, though, I kind of knew it wasn't going to be coming out then. We saw the Osmo Mobile 3 come out, so no drone, but still an exciting thing for smartphone shooters. Basically, the Osmo Mobile 3 is a gimbal for any smartphone device. I'm not a big person for filming on smartphones. You know, I kind of, I tend to, other than just like quick clips, you know, I find like a gimbal and trying to get some real footage just aggravating, honestly. So it's not for me, but for a lot of people, it's, you know, a really good option. And the fact that they now have designed it so it can actually fold up upon itself, you know, make it really compact. Uh, honestly, yeah, that was the most exciting thing. And it's only $119, so they dropped $10 off the Awesome Mobile 2. Stetson, are you interested in this at all? I'm not interested. I kind of agree with you. Filming with a phone, I, you know, I honestly thought I was going to do it. The iPhone shoots 4K, 60 frames per second. My camera doesn't even do that. But the image quality coming off of this super small sensor just isn't even worth it. I would honestly consider an Osmo Pocket over this. Um, or well, except for the, the thing is, uh, I have found, I did a side-by-side test of the Osmo Pocket versus uh, iPhone XS uh, Max and the GoPro 7 Black. I found that the XS Max was actually a lot better image quality because it has greater dynamic range due to like the smart technology in the camera that can, you know, sense, oh, that's the sky, that's the ground, let's expose the sky a little less and the ground a little more. So I found it was actually a little better quality at times, though it's often, you know, when you're using it on a gimbal, it sometimes can be a little like unwieldy of like it jumping focus quickly or like, you know, exposing too bright all of a sudden, yeah. Even so, I think, you know, having a dedicated device for filming is great because, you know, you talked about this uh, in, in one of your I think uh, episodes or videos like you want to be able to use your phone as a phone. You don't want to have to have it dedicated recording. You're filming something. All of a sudden you get a call that can mess everything up. It's it's just like it's not a device I want to be using for filming. And even as amazing as the Osmo Mobile 3 is, uh, it's something I'm going to pass on. It's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Definitely, though, for anyone who is filming on smartphones, you know, it's usually like people who don't want to carry a lot of gear with them. It's nice that this product folds up now. It's not quite as big as the previous generations. It is a 15-hour battery uh, and has some decent connectivity with the camera, so you can do things like, you know, it can track objects on the screen, even as a sport mode that moves a little faster, stuff like that, which is kind of cool. And then, of course, it has, like, time-lapse mode, hyperlapse mode, and all the other things that you've kind of seen in the Osmo Pocket and Ronin SC. So... So Great, great if it's for you, and um, if it's Sucks not, then, if it's not, yeah, no worries. And a, por- and a portrait mode is kind of cool because that that's kind of acknowledging that a lot of video is shot in portrait mode. So, I like it. All right, let's move on. Yeah, just tangent right here. What are your thoughts about portrait video? I actually see it as a future. Like, I really think portrait video has an untapped market right now. And but I'm just talking aesthetically. What is your thoughts on it? Because I have a hard, I like it, but at the same time, I also have a hard time, you know, really finding like artistically shot stuff in vertical, uh, like aspect ratio. I think maybe it's just because the way I was raised watching, you know, and grew up, we both grew up where there's, you know, films are all shot, you know, widescreen horizontally. Whenever I look at a vertical video, yeah, it might be entertaining and stuff like that, but I've never seen a vertical video really shot like, 
beautifully, well, maybe beautifully, but I don't know. It doesn't have the same, same aesthetic appeal to me. You know, that's a great point. I think I see vertical video possibly more for news, more for communicating information. I think we'll get possibly more vertically oriented screens. And um, we've kind of begun to see that at CES um, with some of Samsung's technology, um, their blocks that can kind of stack together. But um, in terms of actual entertainment value, I, you're absolutely right. Horse, we see the world horizontally and there is something just super cinematic about widescreen or ultra widescreen video uh, that vertical video can't compete with. You just get these amazing, beautiful landscapes. Um, and yeah, so I think for entertainment, we're going to keep that horizontal. But for information, vertical is a new angle, a new perspective uh, that, you know, I think I think we'll see possibly catch on. Yeah, and for people growing up in today's world, kids, these, uh, you know, growing up with more vertical video, I think it will become more natural and they'll be more used to it and be able to innovate more in that space, hopefully. Sweet. All right. I think. Um, oh, we got one more thing that kind of leads right into our main meat or impossible burger or beyond burger of the podcast. We're talking about the new Black Magic Pocket Cinema camera 6k did i get that right i guess it's black magic design pocket cinema camera 6k that is a tongue twister we can also just call it for short bpcc 6k though that is actually not any easier gabe you took a very juicy product and just slapped a very ugly label on it uh but let's unpack this thing what is the pocket cinema 6k packing um, this this is actually a it's, really it's it's only packing actually uh, not even HD video it's 480p video max. Wow, I'm surprised. Yeah, Black no, Magic. it is pack it is packing 6K video as the name suggests, and actually it doesn't even cost 6K. It doesn't even cost half of 6K. It's only twenty five hundred dollars. So round of applause just for Black Magic. It's not the cheapest camera to offer 6K. I think that's the Z Cam at around 2000, but for what it offers, it's really the most affordable kind of like film cine style camera that is out on the market now. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I could see this being tremendously popular with indie filmmakers, people who are super into video. Uh that price point is actually very within grasp. Um and yeah, this camera huge features uh, as Gabe mentioned, of course, 6K video recording. Um, it records in RAW, so you get huge flexibility when editing to change white balance and post-production, uh, really maximize your editing workflow. Uh, it is rocking a Canon, I think it's a Canon EF mount, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, Canon EF mount on there. Uh, and also the sensor isn't a full-frame sensor, just to be clear. It's only a super, uh, uh, super 35 size sensor which is like kind of slightly smaller than, you know, the full frame sensor. So not going to get the full frame quality, uh, but it's still, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Max bit rate is 483 megabits per second. I think Sony's cameras might top at like 150, 160 maybe. So it's incredible. And while it all can record raw, you can also, and most people who get it, you know, unless you're recording like really film stuff with a ton of editing ton of post stuff 
you're going to record in the ProRes format, which is great for Apple computers because that's the native format for them. Absolutely. Um, it is kind of interesting, though. You can't actually record 6K in ProRes. So No, uh, yeah, because ProRes actually, I think, has a bit uh, more processing done to it, whereas RAW is just taking the straight frames. So that was kind of interesting. There are some limitations in terms of what resolution you're filming at and uh, what format that footage is captured. Uh, but the, the other thing with this camera is when you're shooting in 6K or even uh, sometimes 4Ks, this camera each eats storage for breakfast and for lunch and dinner. And did I mention it like snacks? Um, yeah. So if you're filming at the max resolution, 6K raw, 24 frames per second, you'll get 65 minutes um, and that will record and completely fill a 250 gig card. Or Jeez. if you bump down to, uh, if you increase the frame rate to 60 frames per second, you're only going to be able to record, I think for 30 minutes, or excuse me, I'm seeing full 6K resolution for eight minutes, 256 gigabytes at the three to one compression. I think you can actually connect uh, an external hard drive though. Yeah, so that sure. is a plus. You so can with get like USB C. You can connect a, uh, you know, uh, solid state drive to it, cord right to that. So a lot of filmmakers like that, because then you literally just take the that drive, plug it into your computer, and start go ahead editing. You know, really awesome there. Uh, it can record 4K 60 frames a second, and guess what? It can also actually do 6K 60 frames a second. Now, granted, that is a super wide aspect ratio of 2.4 to one. So I know we've talked about in the past that, you know, a lot of YouTubers now are kind of experimenting with doing two to one aspect ratio for the larger phones. So 2.4 to one is like even thinner. It's your almost, I think, cinema quality is 2.35 to one. Uh, so 2.41 is even wider than like your widest widescreen movie. So, you know, very like a niche thing there. But if you've got to get that, you know, widescreen uh, high res look like, yeah, that's a really cool thing that it can do 60 frames a second there. The other thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, while this is very exciting, uh, you know, it's basically double the price of the 4K pocket cinema camera. The one thing we still have yet to see and we'll have to see once it is released is how long is the battery life? Because the battery life of the cinema camera 4K is only 20 minutes. So, yikes. That's what will this actually yikes. be? Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll have to see. I do think it's interesting and kind of deceiving as well that they call this the pocket cinema camera when most people who are going to use it are going to build up a rig, you know, that includes like a V mount or gold mount battery that can power this camera for a couple hours, you know, as well as a screen, a shoulder rig, stuff like that. And not many people are using it like literally in the format that you could slip into your pocket. I do like their approach, though. They basically have a cheap sensor and cheap body or, or cheaper than the competition uh, that allows filmmakers to kind of build up and, and their no own no in-body stabilization too and allows filmmakers to to build up their own systems and setups uh, to meet their filmmaking styles and needs indeed so yeah would you be getting one of these or uh, absolutely not no i need no. autofocus that's another thing 
You know this. I think this does have autofocus. Just it doesn't have continuous autofocus. That's the big thing. Continuous autofocus. That's what I need. And um, what do you mean? You, I just. I mean, my eyes just focus once at the beginning of the day, and then that's it. <laughs> that's it. You're locked. Like, yeah. oh man, we're at five feet today. Guess I can't see my cereal while I'm eating uh, it. Well, I just have to get within five feet of my cereal with a long spoon. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like so, it, Gabe, thinking creatively. No, I totally agree, though. I, you know, I also want the foot photographic there we go i can say that word photographic capabilities you know of a mirrorless or dslr camera so this wouldn't really be for me at the moment but yeah it's it's enticing because as i said there is no a7s3 out and i'm sitting here using a you know four-year-old camera just waiting for sony to release their camera and hoping that all this wait isn't for naught for sure gabe should we segue then into all main excursion for this episode uh hold it right there before we get there why don't we tell the people what we are or who we are not sponsored by this episode all right so i think you went first last time stetson i you are correct i did go first for the not sponsored segment of our podcast uh so gabe are you ready to go we've got the shot clock indeed ready ready fire uh, it up Whenever you are. So Rick. for listeners, this is where we talk about products we're not sponsored by, uh, what we find actually genuinely interesting and we like. We give, you sell, give each other 30 seconds on the clock. Gabe's up 30 seconds on your mark. Get set. Begin. This episode, I would like to say that we are not sponsored by making no big tech purchases until Black Friday. Now, this is a rule that both Stetson and I have kind of followed the past couple of years. Basically, why we do it. You have a lot of new stuff coming out between now and the holiday season. And then the holiday season, you have a lot of big sales. So unless you're buying one of the new new products being released right when it comes out, hold off any of those big purchases until coming up to Black Friday because you'll get good deals on that tech product you've been waiting for all year. Beautiful timing, Gabe. Beautiful timing. Thank you very much. Not um, scripted as usual. This is something we have talked about and waiting for Black Friday. Basically, I like to make a list of everything I want to purchase and then wait for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then pounce. Like a cat. Yes. Got a new, got a new, you know, uh, Alexa, or got a new TV, or got a new whatever it is that you want. What's on your list right now? Um, what is on my list? I'm waiting for the Aperture uh, RC LED lights to come out. Well that, well, that would fall into the new category, though, right? Because it's the new or the, or the old on sale. Ooh. I only have new things. I'm not really waiting right. for anything old on sale. Maybe the Aperture 120D Mark II. Um, I don't know. Not not too much else. I've basically been pouncing. I've been breaking my own rule, pouncing oh, on no. tons of new gadgets. I mean, I just got the Bose Quiet or the Bose Headphone 700. Um, well, those those kind of fall a little bit in the new because those came out. Really, it's anything that comes out in the summer. You can kind of justify if you want it. Get it then because it probably won't be on too big of a sale come Black Friday. But really anything you get released in the spring or before then is probably going to be discounted pretty heavily, uh, you know, coming up to Black Friday. And the only real sale bef- between Black now and Black Friday, you'd get maybe Labor Day or sometimes President's Day. But generally, unless it's like a huge discount on one item, you're not going to see... Uh, any of the real deals that you see Black Friday and that holiday time. I think I think my two items, I'm going to say like smart home stuff. There's usually huge discounts on that um, and external storage. Like I could always use some extra extra gigabytes flopping around in my backpack. 
All right. Yeah. I was going to keep going, but let's, let's get on to what you're not sponsored by. Cause we were mentoring a lot of, a lot of things there that were also not sponsored by, but we're only not sponsored by two things this episode. So you ready? Here I'm ready. we go. This episode, I'm not sponsored by the Cooler Master Master Keys Pro S Gaming Mechanical Keyboard. Type with confidence, game with speed and proficiency, get that beautiful tactile feedback and sound. Um, this, this keyboard started using it. It's great. It's fun. It lights up. It's a great experience if you're typing or if you're gaming. Game with color, type with performance. Cooler Master Master Keys Pro S Mechanical Keyboard. And nailed it right on the head. Good job there. Uh, I'm not a big fan of external keyboards, so I definitely will not be getting that. Sorry, Stetson. So whoa, Gabe, you you're like not your... getting you're not getting paid you're not getting paid by them or not. I mean, you're not getting not not paid by them for me buying the product and using your not promo code. So wait, yeah, you're, wait, take that. Gabe, you're telling me you actually like Apple's new butterfly keyboard system? Oh, wow, Stetson, I see. You're going to play dirty. Okay. Well, no, but I don't I don't like the new butterfly keyboard system, but I also don't like the idea of having to transport around or use an external keyboard. So I just like the convenience, really, that that built-in laptop keyboard offers. That's the reason why you get a laptop why plug in another keyboard there? Doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I basically have two desktop setups: one at yeah. home, one at work. To, um, to each their own. If if you want, I know people who also game usually want their own keyboard. Is that actually good for gaming? Because yeah, yeah, mechanical keyboards for... are ideal for gaming. Uh, you just get that performance. Um, the keys are super tactile; they feel great. I I originally purchased it for gaming and just was using it recently. It's been kind of fun. I love how it lights up in RGB. Um, but you know, to your credit and to your point, I'm also a huge chiclet keyboard fan. I love just the Apple uh, wireless keyboard. So I have that at work, this one at home, but figured it would be a fun, not sponsored topic because it had it right here in front of me. It was the most fun. And you had the auditory sound right there. So that was really nice. Moving on now to our main part of the episode, mate. The Oi, excursion. what is that over there? Crikey, is that is that the is that the wild A7S3? Oh, I oh certainly hope so. Gabe. Oh no, it's not. Never mind. That was just that was just my bad. It's not it yet. Ugh. Well, yes, we're talking about where is the A7S3? Why is it not here? And please, please, Sony, release it soon. I don't. That last thing, I guess, we're not really talking about. That's just me begging. That's G- Gabe, like Sony pleading. He wants on this my so knees. bad anything i'll do anything sony all right yeah uh, basically the uh, sony a7s2 was one of the really game-changing uh cameras for like kind of freelance consumer video uh cameras you know you had the i think the original one that kind of changed the game up was obviously the canon 5d uh mark ii i guess would, would be the one i'd say and then the mark three even more so this kind of came after that in the space where people were, you know, like not sure where to go. Canon was kind of slowing down their release schedule and Sony was picking up their full frame mirrorless release schedule. And the A7S II just came like, you know, like a beautiful, majestic, like unicorn on a rainbow and videographers loved it everywhere pretty much. Well, and, and Gabe, why, like, why did videographers love this camera? What made the A7S II, which came out in October, 2015, such September, a great camera actually 
I have September October. 2015. I, I Googled uh, it. I got October. I Googled it too, and I got September. So. Well, this is certainly it's awkward. Awkward. Well, it came out in the fall 2015 <laughs> either way. So, yeah, what made it so special is people who are shooting on, you know, that kind of full frame mirrorless uh, or DSLR style usually aren't using lighting a lot of the time. You know, sometimes, I mean, you might be shooting in a studio or something like that, but you're also usually getting a camera that's like that for the portability because you're going to be using it out in the field more. And the A7S II completely thrived uh, with a, you know, very high amount of dynamic range and uh, very good low light quality on filming, you know, out in the field in, you know, whatever conditions, whether it was, you know, your no light in, you know, bright sun in the forest, wherever you are it's going to be able to handle it and make it look really good. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the even strengths it continues to have is the fact that you can use that full sensor while you're shooting in 4K video. I got the a7 III, came out in 2017. That's a very nice camera, but I'm cropping in when I'm shooting at the 4K resolution. Um, so being able to... That, that came out 2018. 2018, excuse me. Sorry, um, yeah. But cropping in at that... Um, at that 4K resolution, you know, I'm, I'm missing out on my wide angle lens and that is kind of a bummer, yeah. so. Yeah, the people, re I mean, the, one of the reasons people get full frame, full frame, sorry, other than, you know, just to have that, you know, the bigger sensor just because they can say it and just like it, you know, adds a little, little bit on their shoulder, you know, brush that dirt off. All right, full frame right here uh, is the ability to have the nice bokeh of using that full sensor. And when you crop in, yeah, you don't get that, good bokeh when you're using wide angle lenses and such. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame that, you know, we haven't really seen any other camera from Sony come out that uses the full frame sensor uh, to record video when you're doing 4K. And that's what we're hoping and why a lot of people are like me are holding out for the A7S III. You know, I think something that's interesting is I was watching a video um, by the YouTube channel, Matt, who is Matt Johnson. And what he was talking about is we really haven't seen any new sensors from Sony uh, in the past few years. And like what like what's been this delay? Like we've had cameras come out, but there Sony is reusing older sensors and just putting them in a nicer body, adding some new features, making the experience better. But again, they're not really innovating with those new sensors like they were when the A7S II came out. Um, and his theory was there was actually a earthquake, the Kumamoto earthquake in Japan in 2016 that hit Sony's center where they were developing and manufacturing their sensors. Um, and his theory is this earthquake has caused a huge delay in the development of the Sony A7S III, uh, which is going to be relying on new sensor technology. You know, that, that's an interesting uh, point. You did actually just see the R4, the A7R4 come out. That is a new sensor. So maybe this is representing the point where they're finally back on track. Uh, I do think that even if they hadn't, uh, you know, got hit by the earthquake and allegedly that slowed them down, they probably would have held off releasing it a little bit because what you've seen really in the past couple of years is them addressing their two, or I guess their biggest complaint was the ergonomics and the design of the body. You know, with your camera, for example, the A7 III versus my camera, the A7S II, those are about three years apart, I think. And the difference that we've been using them sometimes when we're both out shooting and like switching off is really just like night and day of like 
how is the S2 ever designed as like a usable camera? You know, and I still continue to use it, but like it's, you know, the, what they're doing now with the bodies is so much more intuitive, so much more nice, you know, bigger batteries, everything's just, yeah, improved so much. So now if they can actually get a good sensor now uh, produced, yeah, that'd be awesome. Do you, do you want to talk about some of the, the struggles you've been going through as you've been using your A7S2? Oh no, I, I don't, it's, the focus is so slow, you know, the screen is, you know, starting to show its age. It's also not a touchscreen. Is yours a touchscreen? Yes, I do have a touchscreen. Yeah, okay, yeah, of course it is. Uh, yes, it's really just like, I, 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 the only reason I'm hanging on now is because I have a decent amount of Sony lenses, so they've kind of got me stuck, but, you know, if they don't release the S3 before the end of the year, I'm probably going to jump ship to, like, a different camera. I don't know, maybe I've been looking at the Nikon lineup, the Z6 and Z7, very intriguing, even though Nikon is usually only known for their photography sets in, right? Right, yeah. yeah. That's basically what I've heard is when I was first looking at cameras way back when, 2016 probably, uh, basically it was Canon was great for video, Nikon was great for photo, and that's kind of the two camps that I found. Yeah, and so the Nikon is still great for photo, but the Z6 and Z7 are nice because they're you know mirrorless cameras, full frame, and they can actually use the whole sensor. And when you're ex like uh, plugging in an HDMI to the, you know, you know, if you get a Ninja recorder, external recorder, you can actually record in 12-bit uh, video, which is amazing in today's world. Only really, I think, like the Blackmagic uh, PCC 6K. There we go, got the abbreviation. And maybe the upcoming Panasonic S1H uh, will be able to do that. What what's so special about twelve bit color? Like for someone like me who is less familiar with this color space, like I've heard of eight bit color, ten bit color, twelve bit color. What like what's the difference in that, and and what does that mean for filmmakers and creatives? Well, the way I like to think about it is: imagine you were trying to draw draw like you know a, a landscape picture, all right? And someone said, "All right, choose. You can have you know uh, eight colors." So you go in, you know, maybe you grab like a blue, a green maybe brown for like the trees, you know, then white, you know, and you get to pick your eight colors out and all right, then you draw that. Okay. Now it's not going to be very accurate, but now say you can go, all right, now let's say you can do 12 colors. Granted, this is a very simplistic example because the difference between, you know, 12 bit and 10 bit is actually uh, exponentially larger because it's, you know, multiplied times each other, the amount of options. So it's very simplistic, but let's say, let's even say, all right, say you could get, you know, 30 options, right? Instead of eight. Now we're talking. Now you're talking. Now you could get like several shades of green, you know, a couple shades of blue, couple shades of brown, you know, couple shades of wildflower colors. Like, yeah, just you really get all the options. So for example, when you're taking a picture of that landscape, uh, you know, and you're like, why are all the trees the same color? That's not how it looked when I was taking the picture out there. That was definitely different shades of green but your camera just doesn't have enough bits of information available to record each different shade of green. So it kind of has to compensate and be like, all right, we're going to average that green to be all this color. Uh, You know, all the blues to be kind of this color or in between these three different colors. And so it's really not as accurate. If you can get, you know, more bits of information, you can get more bits of color depth. Uh, And then we're also not even talking about, you know, all the information uh, between each frame. That's a whole nother thing. But, sure, yeah. sure. That's a great explanation. 
uh, to me, it sounds like you're adding a significantly more, like significantly more color accuracy. I think, and actually, sorry, one second I was going to say also, it's the, also the different thing is 444 or 442 or 422. Those are also different color spaces. We won't even get into that. But basically, yeah, the more options you have for color, the better and more accurate the image is going to look and the more you're going to be able to grade in finer detail in post. Yeah, so so that is pretty huge uh, for these other cameras that are coming out. Uh, so Gabe, we kind of talked about the Sony A7 III, what, what the holdup has been. Uh, you know, I mentioned the earthquake. You started getting into some of the competitors. Like what, what are the other cameras we're seeing in this space right now? What is competing against Sony? Um, what are people like you thinking of jumping ship to um, as, as you're waiting for this elusive camera that is just on the horizon, but not quite in view yet. Well, the Blackmagic Pocket cam Cinema Camera 6K is definitely one of them. You know, I don't think that will grab a lot of people because like we said, you know, it's not really the same. It's a little bit more for filmmakers and, you know, a little bit more of like a cine style camera. So, you know, not as, you know, internal stabilization, photographic quality, stuff like that. So probably not, that's not the biggest one. The more ones we have to focus on for grabbing potential Sony users and, you know, just being really good options for anyone looking for full frame DSLRs or uh, I guess we're not just full frame, but, you know, DSLRs or mirrorless cameras for video is probably the Canon offerings or the ones from Panasonic. So those are really the two camps, I'd say. Yeah, I've, I really like the options from Panasonic. And I want to say Fujifilm and the X-T3, like they snuck in there, um, right? I was looking, you know, just trying to find, figure out what the landscape was looking at. And I found the Fujifilm X-T3 starting at $1,500, which is super cheap. I paid $2,000 for my Sony body. And this shoots 4K, 60 frames per second, and has 10-bit color. Uh, what what size sensor though, right? Isn't that not a full frame? I think I'm it's a sure. micro four thirds. I could be mistaken. I think it's I think it's APS-C. APS-C, so it's bigger than micro four. It's thirds. a little bit bigger than micro four thirds because I'm pretty sure Fujifilm is kind of against actually full frame uh, mirrorless. They're more you know they're like hey you're trying to make mirrorless cameras because they're smaller. Why put a full frame sensor in there? So they've been doing like the more micro four thirds or APS-C. Yeah, I know uh, people who have the XT3 very you know it's a good camera more people have it kind of as like a you know they shoot on maybe like a larger like 1dx sony i mean canon or you know a larger i don't know whatever camera and then they have the uh, t3 as kind of their fun you know oh bring around and shoot on the go because it's you know it's still a very good camera but it's just a lot smaller and yeah you see that because a lot of people aren't really invested in a ton of fuji glass so that's the case there uh, and then as far as like Canon, let's just get into that because Canon's still a beast in the video game. Take it away, Gabe. What All are right. the Canon offerings? Uh, the three big ones that I have down are the Canon EOS R, which is their mirrorless camera. That's full frame mirrorless starting at around $2,000, I think. And then you have their 5D Mark IV, which is around you know 2800 to 3200 And then you have their 1DX Mark II which is, I think, one of the first cameras that actually shot 4K 60 frames a second. And that one, I think, is... I actually don't have the price on that one. I think that that one's up in the, you know, like, uh, $4,000 range. I think it's expensive. Sure. It's old, too, right? Like, that camera's been it's out for a while. It's pretty old, and we will be seeing a new, uh, you know, 
1DX Mark III coming out between Q4 2019 and Q2 2020. So yay for that. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And, you know, definitely people are, I think, you know, they're waiting for that uh, possibility, you know, if they're a Sony a7S II user, but that's also a little more expensive. So, you know, that that means switching glass potentially, unless you're using an adapter for your current Sony. And yeah, it's not not ideal for a lot of people because it's a bigger camera. I think uh, some of the issues with the Sony cameras is, you know, I, I like, excuse me, with the Canon cameras, I like them a lot. I like Canon's color science, but they do have a pretty large crop when you're shooting in 4K often. And some of them, uh, Canon restricts the use of their dual pixel autofocus. Like it's not able to process the image and focus at the higher 4K resolution, which is a huge bummer um, and definitely a limiting factor of these cameras. Yes, I I do think that Canon has to work on that, possibly getting a better uh, processor, maybe like a Digic 9. I think they're on the 8 now, so that's what it would be. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not ideal, but Canon, again, a lot of people use them because they're better menus and stuff, and also better autofocus generally than Sony cameras. Uh, moving on to Panasonic, though, because they are really kind of like... They have a, they have the, a pretty good lineup. They're kind of like the dark horse in this uh, race, I feel like, because a lot of people do know about them, but then a lot of people just completely forget about Panasonic. You know, they've been really popular with the GH5 and GH5S, which, granted, aren't full frame. They're actually not even APS-C. They're micro four-thirds, so a little bit smaller than APS-C, but incredible quality, and also you get the really light camera, too. And they've been working on low-light performance. That was the GH5S, like... That camera performs super well in low light. Yeah, it's a, I think it's 10 megapixel sensor or something like that. Uh, yeah, I so, think so. And it, it still performs Yeah, so basically, well. yeah, you get you get bigger bigger pixels and incredible low light. And then now they just launched the full frame cameras, the Panasonic S1 and S1R. Uh, the S1 is the one that's geared for video and very enticing. I think it's around uh, 2800. I'm not quite sure. But either way, yeah. What were you gonna say? I was gonna I was gonna say that while you're looking that up, uh, I was looking at these two. They shoot 4K 30, and you get that 10 bit color. Or you could also get 4K at 60 frames per second. Uh, you will drop down to 8 bit color, but 4K 60 on a nice mirrorless full frame camera. Mm, that is just that's something I'm actually wishing I I had, and you know that's something my camera is lacking. That's possibly an upgrade avenue I would consider in the future. And and these cameras do seem super future-proof with that offering, with that color science. Um, and Panasonic even has the S1H, and this does shoot in 6K, which is incredible. Yeah, it's within 6K with asterisks, so unlike the Blackmagic one, because I think it's you have to be shooting a super wide aspect ratio or no, you have to be shooting 3-2, that's what it is. So really narrow and tall. Uh, and if you want to do 16-9, I think it's actually only 5.9K. So a slight asterisk there, but yeah, it's higher than 4K and it can definitely do 4K 60. And it's more, even more geared for video than the current S1. So that will be out, I think, probably this fall or before Christmas. Yeah, I think they're they're all slated for kind of a fall release date. Um, have you been able to find the price points for these guys? Uh, yeah, the S1 is 2500 
No word yet, I don't think, on the S1H. And the GH5S is around 2000 So wow. all very affordable, kind of in the range of a little less than actually what we're thinking the Sony A7S three will be at around probably 3000 to like 3500 So So we've you know talked about kind of what the other options are. What features do you think the Sony A7S three is going to have? Like Sony basically needs to blow the competition out of the water. They've got a huge line. I don't. I hold on. I don't know if they need to blow the competition out of the water, though. Right? They need to match the competition in the water. Yeah. I, well, I think they definitely need to offer uh, specs that are competitive and are at least equal, and hopefully they can, you know also you know improve on the specs in a couple areas because they have gained a, a, a quite a bit amount of market share in the past couple of years with their successful alpha lineup of mirrorless cameras so they you know they don't necessarily have to go out be quite as aggressive but i think they're definitely going to want to be pretty aggressive because the mirrorless space is you know up for grabs a little bit now because you have a lot of people willing to you know switch from one camera maker to another sure sure okay so then what would like what features would make you buy this camera? Like what what do you hope to see it, it have? It exists. That's it. It just they like any they rebrand the A7. My check is already written right now. Okay. No, I, I I all right. Maybe what I should say is what specs wouldn't make me buy this camera, right? Oh, I would say 4K 30. Yeah, I I think if it doesn't have an improvement above 4K 30 as a top. Uh, frame rate and resolution i would be very disappointed and probably not buy it you know 4k 60 all right i'll be you know I'll, I'll i'll be okay with that and as long as it's a new design and stuff and maybe higher bit rate and higher color space okay cool sony but really what i'm hoping for is that they can hit that 6k you know range and you know also make it you know so it can do 1080 at 240 that would be really really awesome you know We'll have to see what they're going to do when they ever release it, if they ever release it. Come on, Sony. Uh, yeah, that would be... What would make you switch, though, from the a7 III, possibly, to this? I think what would make me switch would be um, 4K60, and I think I'd want that at a full frame. Like What everyone is doing is they're releasing these cameras that can shoot 4K at 60 frames per second, but you Why have to are they doing in. that, though? Well, so you can slow the footage down to half speed in a 30p. No, no, no. But why? I was going to try to get you to explain why the crop in. Oh, they're cropping in because um, they just punch in on the sensor. Can't. Okay. I have no, no idea. Here, I'll explain it why. They rescue me. Rescue you. <laughs> Thrown in I the, the golden into shopping cart. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, basically, the reason why you get a lot of the crop in on these full frame cameras is because, say, if they have a high resolution like your camera has a sensor that's 24 megapixels, it's going to want to, you know, if it's processing that full frame, all those pixels every time that it scans a sensor 30 frames a second, and then it has to convert it from 24 megapixels, which is way higher, that's about 6K resolution, down to 4K resolution. That's a lot of processing for it to do 30 frames a second. So what they do is they crop in to get pixels that are exactly the right amount. So usually it's, you know, it's, uh, what is it, 4,000, no, 3,840, I think, by 2160, that's 4K. And so they get that resolution and then just shoot on that amount of pixels, which generally means that it's, you know, only a small amount of the full uh, sensor. So it's generally, you know, it's a processing thing. 
that they do, which is why you get cameras that do shoot on the full sensor, like the A7S II, has a lower number of pixels. As you know, it only has 12. So that's why it can read the full sensor. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, then I would I would want it to be able to use that full frame um, to do 4K 60. I would want it to do 10-bit or 12-bit color. Um, the 1080p, 240 frames per second, in-body image stabilization, flip out screen yeah not not the flip up screen not the flip up i want the flip out give me the flip out well you're gonna sets and keep honestly you should keep dreaming you're even out further than me on that one because there's no way that sony is going to the flip out yeah it's uh, true it's true that's canon style and nikon style they're gonna do the flip up so yeah but what's the wild card here do you know what the wild card here is well, that were in the wild in Australia. In the wild. And oh, here's a card right here. No, the wild card is uh, the couple cameras that we have rumored to be coming out in this fall or possibly next spring. First off, the Sigma FP. Boom, boom, boom. We've talked about it, I think, about two episodes ago. And basically, not much to hear here other than it's a full frame camera they announced. Going to do 4K in some version and have 4K 12 bit export to uh you know an external recorder so that's exciting we'll see what it costs and what the exact specs are when sigma announces it but the nice thing there is obviously sigma is known for their lenses so you're gonna get some pretty nice lenses with that camera for sure so true and this one is amazingly small um like it, it almost looks like a point and shoot camera to be honest uh you're getting those sigma lenses like you mentioned a super fast cine to photo mode switch that makes it seamless from taking switching from taking photos to capturing video and some really cool built-in processing for cinemagraphs and other features um you know i think as this landscape shapes up this camera from sigma could be a very compelling option and stand out with its unique features very good you said it all that i was gonna say so the other camera that is a wild card is the DJI full frame camera. Whoa, what? Wait, DJI whoa. coming Do the record, out with... record scratch. <laughs> yes, yeah, right? They bought a, I think, majority stake in Hasselblad. I think that was two years ago. And now there have been some leaks about a DJI camera that is not going to be mirrorless like Hasselblad, but be full frame instead and aimed at competing exactly with the Sony A7 series. So, yikes. Imagine, imagine a DJI camera that works really well and pairs well with their gimbals. That is absolutely savage. This could potentially be a ravenous beast. Yes, exactly, mate. Uh, yeah, and even you could put it in a drone maybe. We'll have to see. This is most likely not coming out till next spring at the earliest, but very exciting to see on the horizon. Uh, next whoa, we whoa, have, whoa. I just want to, before you move on, I just want to mention to the audience, like break you, you recently reviewed, uh, the AK 4,500, uh, stabilizer, right? Yes. And, and, you know, one of the things you told me is like the real apex of stabilized footage is combining the gimbal with the camera, something like an Osmo pocket, but with the image quality of a mirrorless camera into one uniform experience, I think with the DJI camera and their stabilization technology with their gimbals, I think this that could be it, Gabe. Like, that could be... Yeah, no, that's that's what the hope is. I'm trying not to get too excited, Stetson, so don't get me too hyped I know, up. your hopes have already been dashed as you've been waiting yes. for this camera. All right, please continue. Thank you for that short break. 
Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, moving on, the Sharp 8K Micro Four Third camera. Whoa, what? Another another record scratch. <laughs> Wait, did I just say 8K? Yes, I did say 8K. No, did you just say Sharp? Yeah, oh yeah. Also Sharp, the brand from the early 2000s who had made TVs, I think. Yeah, what? they debuted this. I think it was either at NAB in the spring or at CES uh, in January. And yeah, it's coming out this fall. It's micro four thirds and it shoots 8K. So this will be really interesting to see. I'm not sure who this is really aimed at because I know the only other really 8K consumer thing on the market was the Redmi. I don't remember what that phone, phone it is. Yeah, some phone with a ridiculous... Some phone by Redmi that can record 8K, but it really looks like crap, honestly. Uh, so... We'll see how good this looks because honest, it seems like they're kind of doing it just to get like the attention of, oh, it's 8K. But yeah, it's pretty amazing that they are doing an 8K camera and this could potentially compete with the Sony a7S III. Hey, competition is good for consumers regardless of who it comes from. Although, you know, sharp, you know, super medium feelings about not those. Good, just, not good for consumers. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. They're just like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yes, uh, that's that is a very good way of describing their strategy. What sticks because it's sharp. Ooh, Ooh. I like that. I like that. That was really bad. Um, uh, last but not least, the camera on the horizon that could potentially steal the tension away uh, from the A7S three is the GH six. Yes. Yeah, their their GH five lineup was super strong. Um, you know, I know uh, that I that is the camera I considered the most. It was a seven three. I still consider it every day. Much. Or GH five. I want my say, life is hell. By the way, what <laughs> I wake up, I wake up, scream a seven s three, and then think about if I should buy the GH six or the Black Mart Magic Pocket Cinema Camera six all day, and that's about it. Wow, you've got a busy life, Gabe. A busy. I don't know how you yeah. do it all. I don't know how you do it I'm, all. It's not working out very well. I'm, Sony could make it a lot easier by releasing this A7S III. What I mean, so what's the GH6? What, anything good rumored for that? Not really much. Uh, potentially going to have 6K video because that's kind of what's becoming the norm at the end of 2019 to 2020. Because not because there's actually the ability to stream 6K. No, don't 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 forget that we're in the United States with the worst uh, internet uh, speeds in the world, pretty much. For any civilized country no it's because uh when you film in 6k you can punch into 4k you know and and stabilize it or just be able to crop in you know and you know i actually choose your subject i actually upload in 1080p and can just crop in like crazy on all of my shots i don't i, I that's gross i, I upload in 4k okay good um, i was gonna but, say but yeah being able to crop in and then upscale that footage beautiful i love seeing that um, I guess 6K will be my next camera, um, whenever, whatever that ends up being in like a few years for me, like five, six years or whatever. Um, but yeah, those those are some pretty great cameras. You know, I will add that, you know, while we were out shooting uh, recently with your camera, the Sony A7S II, it has a, a thermal issue where the sensor will overheat, the camera will stop recording. Um, and to touch on why we haven't seen the A7S III, I think Sony is dealing with heat issues where... They are trying to capture massive resolution, 6K resolution, huge image processing, um, you know, 10-bit color. And I think they they just have, like, they're running up against some thermal issues um, and trying to figure out how they can make this camera stay cool, operate for a long period of time, 
while still record at the uh, impressive resolution that we hope hope to see it record at. And then finally, I got this from a YouTube comment. Someone was talking about how there's internal politics between Alpha and XDCAM Pro teams. Um, and this is pulling, it's a tug of war as to whether or not the Sony A7 III is going to get 10-bit 4K. Um, and basically the XDCAM Pro team, they want to keep that reserved for the higher end uh, cameras that they work on, whereas the Sony Alpha team is like, hey, we need 10-bit 4K to compete in the market. Um, and based on what we've talked about today, I think that's true. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think Sony is definitely. This is kind of this is kind of reminiscent of what happened to Canna, 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 Canon. Canna, sorry. Can I say Canon? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I get a Canon? Canon. This is what this is what is reminiscent to what happened to Canon in you know the early like uh, probably like twenty like twenty thirteen you know five years ago or so. I think when they, you know, were just really hesitant and reluctant to make any huge upgrades as far as like giving their cameras 4K, you know, they were trying to just push people to either buy their, you know, cinema series cameras or their super high end 1DX cameras and were really hesitant. And as a result, they lost a lot of market share because other companies like Sony were willing to put, you know, really high specs in their cameras and grab a lot of users away. Yeah, it it does kind of remind me of that. Um, and, you know, we'll see what ends up being served on the platter by Sony when they whip up their A7S three. I got my, my napkin tied around my neck and my fork and, fork and knife right here, ready to eat. Gabe is Serve it up, Sony. ravenous. Mmm, I'm hungry. I don't know. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Uh, we'll definitely be talking about that when it's released. You can know for sure. We'll probably have a whole live stream uh, <laughs> yeah, for five days after it's released of me just screaming. <laughs> Gabe's pulling out all the bells and whistles. <laughs> anything, anything, Sony. Sony, you want us to? You want me to like fast for forty days and forty nights in a cave? Okay, I guess I'll do that. Gabe, who uh, will you be not sponsored by when that camera comes out? <laughs> I will not be sponsored by Sony for sure because I'm going to be paying them, so it's a reverse sponsorship. Uh, yeah, that is. That is, uh, I'm just hoping, 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 hoping. Hey, kids can dream. Kids can dream. Yes. Uh, And that's pretty much it, though, for this episode. Let us know what your thoughts are on the A7S three. Maybe tweet at Sony and tell them, well, they probably already know that they should be uh, releasing it, so don't bother them too much. We don't want to, you don't want to slow it down anymore. But, you know, let us know what you thought. Uh, subscribe if you aren't subscribed or just tell a friend who you know is also waiting for that a7s3 to go listen to this podcast and maybe you know tide them over for a little bit yeah and you can find us on instagram at pinch to zoom podcast and follow us on twitter at pinch to zoom pod you can submit questions to us through gmail uh pin- and you can follow us on myspace and myspace now gabe you got that and up linkedin and, and on friendster aol chat uh, you know, Weibo. Gabe, we're gonna um, have to have a serious Snapchat, conversation about our marketing strategy. Uh, Foursquare and um, uh, Expedia. Uh, so you can follow us wherever is most convenient for you, and or we'll be walking through your neighborhood soon. So just jump behind us and start walking behind us and follow us the old school way. I like it. I like it. We'll get our followers going in the real yeah. world. Uh, that wraps up this episode. I'm Stetson. 
And I'm still Gabe, waiting for that A7S 3 And we will speak to you in the next episode. That's it. It's over. Are you going to make it? <laughs> Gabe, what are you thinking about right now? Oh, I just want the A7S 3 all soon, I want in soon. life. Plot twist. What if you get a different camera? How dare you speak? I've said blasphemy steps in. Yeah.